Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. My name is Alex Croson, and I'm alongside the incredible, the edible, the spreadable, KC right. Clap. Alex, good day to you. Good day to you, KC. Thank you very much. Uh, today, we're talking about something that I am excited to talk about for several reasons. Oh, wow. One of which being, I think it tastes good. Ah. The other being, it matches our uh, our subject that we're going to be uh, kind of diving into. One of my top favorites. Oh yes, that's true. Do you One remember of mine too? Yeah, it is. Do you remember when we did that last episode on the Yola um, um, nutmeg? Yes, I do. Yeah, I loved that episode because I just got to read a bunch of history. Right. You and I are both history buffs. We really are. The difference between us is that you remember the stories that you read, <laughs> and I I have a vague familiarity with a bunch of different histories. Yeah, that's fair. But if you ask me to tell a story from a history, a world history, I'd be like, I don't fucking know. I like mm. I like cultural history a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'm not so good with dates and like who won the battle of this oh yeah very few are yeah that's honestly that's the if you are getting a a history lesson that's one of the worst things to do like remember the dates and the names of like specific things yeah because really what's what's most interesting about history is is how it like ebbs and flows and like how everything goes and fills in these different things that's right um but then the interesting thing is when you like have these different like overlapping flows that they they then come to a point and imagine like a river and it hits a rock and then it has to shoot off in a different direction. Mm-hmm. That would be like a big battle or a big happening or some big thing. Yeah. And that usually, I remember those because I think they're somewhat interesting. Yeah, sure. Those uh, those big moments. Yeah, it's just fascinating. But honestly, it's just the the history as like it, we, what we know now or like if you say, what's the history of the United States? Honestly, it's lame and boring. It's not that interesting and it's mostly filled with stuff that today we find somewhat loathsome. Yeah, well, that's the thing about any uh any like uh educational history yeah is that it is written by the victors sorry, the white men yeah uh and we lose out on a lot of interesting fascinating glorifying stories of women and people of color uh so seeking those out i think is really important because if you learn history in high school and college uh, i would say college less so but if you learn history in high school it is 100 percent armies of people throwing themselves at each other yeah well, and it is so uninteresting it really is it's like it's that played a huge role you know if you're trying to you know what led to what led to what those are the big turning points kind of thing sure with those happenings um but it's the characters that were behind all these little things that i think you're really getting at which is 
in my opinion, one of the more interesting things about history. It's like, well, well, who was that person who was commanding that army, and how did they get there, and what were the weird things going on in their lives, and like their culture, and like how did that all kind of become and evolve and turn into whatever it is, you know, whatever it became. Yeah, even anyway. as you said, the loathsome among our 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 ancestors. Mm-hmm. Those are, I mean, dark and sad and awful, but also interesting stories. Which brings me to my uh, my what I was thinking is that they uh, essentially that is um, I, as you go further and further back, loathsome because uh, again, there's like all this revisionist kind of history where it's like, well, you know, looking at it now yeah. with our our ethics today back then it's really uncomparable you know we can say that's atrocious but it's like at the time that's just what literally everyone did yeah however the further you go back the more like mythic it becomes that's right and the more like uh you lose the uh the uh, ideology where it's like you know we are the people in control we're gonna do this it kind of boils down to more like Everybody and everything was all one thing. There mm. wasn't like um, you had these people with this religion and this culture, and then in this population there were these other people with this other thing. It was all just like everything was one thing. It was like uh, what am I trying to think? Um, the Big Bang when that happened. Well, that's way far back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, now the original we're really, history. The OG history. <laughs> No, they say at the Big Bang, like space and time were one thing. Oh, sure. And yeah. then the Big Bang happened, and then it became now you have these two like separate things on one track. Yeah. And um, I kind of see that in the same instance as like history, where the further you go back, the culture and the religion and the land and the trees and the plants and the people and the, mm. all the things around, all the animals, they were all part of one one group it was one thing and then as everything started to interact and change and, and bash into each other then you started getting these differences where you had well the, the, these kinds of people with these beliefs and then there's these kinds of people with these sure. slightly different beliefs but like the instance of uh like in what we're going to be talking about today more of the middle east and south asia and north africa those places the people had their religion but the religion defined the people they were defined by the culture they would define the religion that was based on the ground that they were living in they yes. had a, same thing as you know the native american traditions and all the stories the their creations and all the creation myths of everyone i see what you're saying now yeah i just i, I love that it's the i don't know the holisticness where once you go back everything was one thing does that well, make sense it does casey and i think you alluded to it but let's get into wow we really had no fun banter at the beginning were we talking about trees yeah we should, <laughs> all right cut this part off put it at the very beginning hey alex how are you doing it's a good day. okay we can't go back uh we can't revise the history of this episode uh, casey it wouldn't be thank right you. i just love talking about it so i just jumped into it me too it's a lot of fun and i'm glad you did because casey today we are talking about a tree as we do every episode and the tree today is the pomegranate oh alex i love pomegranate you and i are thrilled yes you love pomegranate as a food mm-hmm. yes i do i love pomegranate as a well, food actually no i take that back i said yes because i like the flavor of it uh-huh. specifically the flavor of it in things that i've drank but you don't like eating pomegranate seeds i don't know because i think i've only done it once <gasps> or twice i'm aghast alex don't be aghast i knew you were going to be so i thought this through hold on okay Oh, oh my God. Casey is reaching into his bag and has produced a beautiful pomegranate. I have a pomegranate here. Is it juicy Do not inside? cut that on I my can't. couch. Dang it. Okay. All right. We're going to have to wait. I then pulled out my knife to just cut it in half immediately. All right. So it's oh, too juicy. Wow. Well, the good news is I have a backup. What a reveal. Casey is going into his bag again. 
Thought the thing he threw at me was made of glass. Nay, it is plastic. And it looks like a grenade. <laughs> it does, much like a pomegranate. Exactly. It is a bottle of wonderful palm juice. Which I think I might have had maybe one time, maybe once. Casey, before we get into this week's tree, let us cheers. And I would like to dedicate this drink of pomegranate juice mm-hmm. to the goddesses Demeter and Persephone. Mm-hmm. I agree. May they ever live in cyclical harmony. Please. Oh, it's delicious. Boy, that's a real treat. See, it's also anti-oxidantive. Mm. Um, um, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the word. 100% pomegranate juice. Oh, 34 grams of sugar? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, suck that down. Wow. Jump out of your seat. Although zero grams of added sugar. So yeah. this thing is just, the pomegranate is just fucking sweet. Yeah, it's just good. Sweet and acidic, that's the thing about it. That's anyway. right. It's sharp, it's tangy, it's sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. This is Thank why, you for yeah, bringing this, Casey. This I has made my this. day. I'm glad it did. It's delicious. I think it's a, a good thing to drink to drink right now. Yeah. So that we can figure out what it tastes like. Get a little uh, mm. uh, multimedia action here. That's right. I feel like I'm in 4D. The other thing is, I want to go cut this. So maybe I'll do this in a second because I want to see the interesting anatomy of this fruit. Well, Casey, it's very interesting. Before we get into the description of this tree, let's go cut that pomegranate in my kitchen. Uh, well, you know, I am wearing a black sweatshirt, so I think we're fine. And uh, <laughs> we're going to come back and talk about the pomegranate. Welcome back, Casey. You and I just cut open a pomegranate. Mm. You de-seeded a good chunk of it. Yeah, I did. Uh, we had a couple nibbles. You're sitting with it there next to you. It looks, it looks and tastes delicious. It's such a wacky thing. I don't understand it. Casey, what is the uh, what is the scientific name for the species of pomegranate mm. we're talking about today? Punica granatum. Granatum. Yeah. Now, do you know what uh, punica means? Mm, putis. No, it is actually a um, feminized version of the ancient uh, Roman term for a little town called Carthage. Oh wow! Do you know what the Punic Wars are? Uh, I've I've heard of them. Well, they are a series of three wars between Rome and Carthage. Okay, Carthage w- is in was in what is now Tunisia, and uh, it was this huge you know big colony, kind of the big Roman uh, counterpart. Okay, and there were these huge battles between the two of them, where famously Hannibal took his uh, oh. uh, his elephants over the Alps and That's attacked right. Rome from the north. What a mad lad! Yeah, oh, what a crazy guy. Anyway, yeah, so it doesn't exist anymore because, uh, spoiler alert, Rome won those. Yeah. Um, actually, I think they really only won two of the three. Um, but it was an well, insane was thing. Well, best of three. Exactly, and they, they bested them. Yeah. Very sad for the, the poor Carthaginians because now they literally don't exist. This was like a, Oof. this is when Rome became Rome before this. They were like the 13 colonies, and then like World War II happened, and then they became the United States afterwards, like a global power. Yeah. Equivalent here. Rome, this podunk little thing, got in these huge battles to like who's going to control the Mediterranean. When Rome came out on top, Carthage no longer existed, literally burned to the ground. Fuck, man. The people completely gone. And then Rome became what they would, you know, what it became Rome. Anyway, Punica. Punica granatum. Yes, and the granatum means seedy or grainy. That's right. Yeah, and so pomegranate is the uh, would be a Latin based. It's also a French term for uh, it means uh, seedy apple. Okay, is what it means which it is not actually a poem. It turns out it's just the the French version of on uh, the uh, the Latin version for what is an apple, which is a poem. Not a bad name for yeah, it. Pomegranate. Yeah, it really flows nicely. I think pomegranate. Yeah, in fact, it's a berry. 
Well, Casey, yeah. hold your horse. Sorry, I had to just put that out there. <laughs> hold your horses of hell on your black <laughs> carriage. <laughs> Chariot, I meant. Uh, Casey, let's imagine as we do every episode that you and I are walking through some, uh, you and I are in our, are in our togas, yeah. wa- our, our robes walking through a, an ancient Greek mm-hmm. countryside and we come across some pomegranate trees yeah. and I say, pray tell Casey, let's talk about the pomegranate. So this is a tree, Alex, that is essentially, uh, spread across the entire, um, Middle East or, you know, what used to be quote the whole world right? Um, at this point in time. Uh, at least from a Greek perspective. Of course, there are all these people over there. But um, this is where uh, a lot of our histories and our culture that have spread across the entire world initiated and, and started. And this tree was along with that. It was initially from Iran and maybe Afghanistan, maybe up even into northern India where it grew native. Okay. There's one other species, which is Punica protopunica, which Whoa. I thought was a fun name. Which is another smaller, um, smaller uh, variety or smaller species that grows off the Arabian Peninsula, and uh, on the little island. And so, this uh, the pomegranate that we know and love that we think about initially was uh, from Iran and grew across uh, the Mediterranean after a long time because it was spread because people obviously would eat the seeds, um, and it is. A kind of a small tree. In fact, a lot of times, a lot of things that I'm reading kind of makes this almost an episode that we uh, we should maybe like put a little asterisk on. That's right. There is some divisiveness, yeah. division, I should say, mm-hmm. about whether this is a tree or a shrub. Exactly. And so, as you know, the definition of such things are completely pointless and nearly un unlike ethically false. Like, would, would you call them completely arbitrary? I think I would call no. them completely arbitrary. That's a stamp of approval of hey, arbitrariness. It's kind of a good. It's kind of a good name. Let's write it down. Yeah, I think we are going to write it down. <laughs> Copyright. The uh, yeah. So that that's the thing is that if you grow it for the for the fruit and you're like trying to grow an orchard, or you have it next to your house or something. A lot of times they will prune it and like train it into a single stem tree. I've seen that it can get up to about 35 feet tall, about, okay. as, about as wide, a big circular canopy, kind of like a, I imagine a really short stem with this big globe of really low branches that mm. look really like a, like a rat's nest kind of thing. Just wow. Like, poking out, going all the different directions, um, but have as an overall like really nice globiness to it. Cool. And um, so otherwise, it can also be a, a much more multi-stemmed, uh, smaller shrub. It grows and it can be planted in the same way that you've usually seen orchard growing or like a little side tree in the Mediterranean next to, say, a bay tree or, oh. you know, some small tree that's useful for something, you know, making food, obviously, for this one. And its leaves are evergreen um, most of the time. Sometimes they can be deciduous if it's in a little bit norther area. Evergreen most of the time, Casey? Yes, Talk exactly. about an oxymoron. I mean, come on. Yeah, this tree, I guess, is just, you know, it's hard to put in a box is what it sounds like to me. Wow. You know, you can't just say, is it a tree or a shrub? Nobody knows. Is well, it evergreen deciduous? Nobody knows. It sounds like an interesting topic for a podcast yeah, episode. I think so. Anyway, let's get someone to do that. <laughs> Good job to us. <laughs> Oh, so the leaves, though, are beautiful. They remind me a lot of um, the same leaves as a citrus plant where they're kind of a really, like, shiny green. They're simple. Yeah. They have no uh, no articulations or anything around the edge. They're entire margins. And they their leaves are not very long. They're maybe, like, about two inches long. They're about, you know, an inch or so wide at the widest bit. Sure. And they are either oppositely arranged on the stem 
or they are world, which world just means you have essentially three or more, usually more than three buds that arise from one location. So you get this like this ring of flower of buds and leaves. Interesting. As opposed to two that are opposite each other or one that is just single and is alternating around that stem. So it's like a little cluster bud. Yeah, exactly. Um, but officially, sometimes it can be alternating too. So again, wow. this it shirks all definition. This tree and cool. it just makes it it makes you constantly have to be like, I don't know how it works. Sometimes it also has thorns. Sometimes it doesn't have thorns. Really? Yeah. It just can't decide. And I haven't found anything. I assume that it's the same idea where if you injure it, it's probably going to put on more thorns to kind of, as a reaction, saying I'm going to fight off whatever is, is attacking me or eating um, me. Umbrella thorn style. Yeah, exactly. I, that's my assumption, but I haven't seen anything that really says one way or another. And that's all under this one species, yeah, the, the uh, Punica granatum? That's right. Interesting. Yeah, so it's a very uh, variable tree, to say the least. Huh. And the thing that really, like, is, is the thing that sets it apart, though, is obviously the flowers and the fruit. Otherwise, it's just kind of this big pokey bush. Reminds me a lot of, say, pyracanthus, the, the fire. Uh, what is Oh, my gosh. Fireberry? Ooh, I can't remember. I only know it as pyrocanthus. Right to us. Anyway, it's a it's a bush that has a lot of thorns on it, but has these really big, beautiful um, poems, these berries that kind of hang down, and they're really striking. Yes. But it gets like just a, a big shrubby ball that kind of has these weird little like spurts of little growth that kind of come out, but then also have thorns all over it. Hmm. Like it's just hard to define as a shrub or a tree. They look pretty, but you can't really put your finger on exactly why you, you like appreciate this like thorny mass. Well, I can put my finger on it, Casey, Tell and us. that is the fruit. Let's ah. talk the pomegranate fruit. Let's do it. So the main thing uh, is that it comes from a equally gorgeous flower. Have you seen the flowers of these things? Yes. They call like the they look very papery, almost like crepe paper flowers that you would make, make as a child or something. That's what they remind me of. They're good looking flowers. Can I? Can I? Uh... I don't know. I, I'm not too struck by the flowers. You're not, uh, not so much. I'm more. Right. I think only because I know it produces a fruit. Ah, uh, so you're just like get out of the way. I just want. I just want to get to the the main thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, these flowers, um, they are. It is technically a berry, which means it has, um, one flower with one. Uh, I'm trying to recall. It, it, it has one or several ovaries or carpels. Maybe one ovary. I think it's just one ovary. Now I'm just now I'm panicking. Uh-oh. Regardless, botanically speaking, the fruit develops into a berry. Okay. A berry, which is technically um, a kind of fleshy inside with a exo- or an epicarp on the outside. Um, and this fruit specifically, um, the outer casing that uh, we know and love as the the shell, the outer shell of mm-hmm. the pomegranate. On that very bottom, uh, the part that you see, like that little kind of opening with the little old flowers in there. Yes. Um, you had said last time that it looks a lot like and reminds you of, say, a poem, like an apple. It does. So those are the carpels of the, uh, not the carpels, oh my God, the sepals of the flower that come out. Okay. So the flower is a beautiful little thing. It's got all these papery petals. And on the outside are these like really thick leathery sepals. And then those sepals are what remains 
as the base of that flower gets really, really big and juicy yeah. and becomes the pomegranate. It blows up a little bit like uh, Violet Beauregard from Willy Wonka. He's exactly, oh my God, that's a perfect With description. With her head sticking out of this giant ball. Yeah, that's exactly it. So that her head stays exactly the same. That's those little kind of openings where those sepals are. Yeah, that's funny. And then the flower falls off. But then if you look, you can still see the kind of, uh, the ends of the little stamen that are in there the whole time. Oh, wow. I've never noticed that. Yeah, there you go. And That's then incredible. when I open it and, and let you see it from the side, does yes. that kind of look like a tomato a little bit? It does a bit, Casey, but can, yeah. I, can I tell you this? You sure can. To me, if I was brand new to the world mm-hmm. and just like came across, if I came across a bunch of uh, trees, yeah. fruit trees, sure. and I came across a bunch of, you know, apple trees, cherry mm-hmm. trees, and some citrus trees, mm-hmm. and then I came across a pomegranate tree. I would think that a pomegranate is a citrus. Ah, okay. To me, it has yeah. that sort of kind of that sort of like pithy uh, mm. shell that you like kind of peel away in a way. Yeah, it definitely does. I think that's that is a super good similarity. But is it sure. related to the tomato? Um, it is not. I, the comparison that I was making is that a tomato is also a berry. So Whoa. all this, all the, the the white stuff on the inside yeah. is kind of the same essential flesh of a tomato, where it's not quite really hard. It's just kind of there, and it kind of splits things into different um, chambers. Yes, inside those chambers are all those seeds with that jelly kind of stuff, you know, around them. Yes, yeah. So the jelly kind of stuff that is the fleshy, delicious thing that we eat is around a seed. That red bit is actually an aural, similar to the aural around the nutmeg that we call mace, and the one that's around the seed of the yew tree, each individual seed inside this pomegranate has a red aural that grows around it and becomes really big and fleshy. The pomegranate itself is not eaten by things. It actually grows bigger, 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 and then splits apart. And then birds come and they eat each individual seed because the seed themselves grew this delicious aural. Wow! That's how the tree gets spread. That is so absurd. Isn't that what ridiculous? A, what a long walk for a short drink for the pomegranate. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Oh, but that drink is so good, Alex. It's like it grew up with no education and didn't know how to use any tools. And so it was like, I'll just make my own. Yeah. And it became this weird alien fruit that makes no sense. <laughs> but everyone loves. Yeah, it still nailed it. That's exactly it. And so that is that is like the, the weirdness of this 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 fruit it's like a berry that instead of evolving the way normal berries would like a tomato where you just eat the whole thing and yeah you put you poop out the seeds this a bird would eat the whole thing digest just a little outside aural and then poop the seed out and then move on boy what a i mean like that's that's so it just really reached into the drawer and was yeah. like ah, it's got some rubber bands yeah uh, an old key. <laughs> it's so convoluted. Yeah, it's like, all right, how do I make this big fancy technology? I don't know how to read, so I'm just gonna like put these things together till you get it. Yeah, how yeah. odd. Okay. That makes this like the the best DIY fruit yes. ever. Yeah. I, I already admire it so much. Hey, there you go. Uh, little, little. You know what? I'll say this, Casey. The pomegranate gets my stump of approval. Pagoosh. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Thank Stumped. you. Stumped. Casey, we are going to talk plenty more about the pomegranate and its role in mythology and folklore from human history after the break. We'll be right back with more Completely Arbitrary. That's what I'm talking about. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Casey, today we're talking about the pomegranate and its role in human mythology. Yes. I'm going to let you take it away. I am going to open this up and discuss a little bit about this tree. So, like we had said, is that this tree is like so wacky and so delicious and had a really important role in several ways. It was very uh, medicinal in a lot of different ways. I get that. So, so obviously, we still use them now. I mean, this uh, wonderful poem juice is antioxidant superpower. So it essentially has this like really important effect for humans. It's deliciously sweet, deliciously um, acidic, but then also is inside this like you know leathery baseball sized fruit. So people would actually pluck these and take them with them across the desert, hmm. open them up, and then have like this super juicy like source of water and sugar and nutrients. Hell yeah. Which you have to remember back in this time, sugar was not just something we could go get anywhere. You could only get these really sweet things from plants that made sweet things. Sure. So it became like this really cool, like, all right, sweet, this is going to be delicious. Let's eat this thing all the time. And it grew, you know, uh, during the, it kind of just kept putting out new fruits and new things all the time. So at the time, uh, people started to cultivate it wherever they happened to, to grow it. They started transferring it all across through this entire region as everyone intermixed and, and had different wars and battles and traded cultural um, little bits and parts of whatever they were doing. Yeah. But at the same time, um, this became a plant that was used in just an, an umpteen amount of religious like symbolism and um, cultural zeitgeist at the time. And it was for all these reasons that many people would be like, wow, this thing is like super delicious. Um, and it also has all these different things. So as we've said with, I think, most of these plants that we've covered this year or this season, um, they started because A, someone could eat them, but food at that point in time and botany and medicine were kind of all wrapped into one thing. Right. It was like, oh, you're sick, you have a stomach thing, go get a pomegranate, eat a whole pomegranate, and then, you know, pray to this god for a little while, and you're going to be fine. Interesting. But they would also, like, mix the fruit and the tree and the god all together. Hmm. So in... um a lot of different uh, places you had um, the pomegranate representing two different things. Um, in certain cultures, it would represent um, life, fertility, and things like that. Yeah. There was one article that I was reading um, that basically the guy said it was a uh, it was used 
by Solomon, I think. Yeah, I think it was Solomon and um, Sheba, I think is who it was. Mm. And they were talking about... Um, they were talking about the pomegranate. Here's what they said. Um, Solomon describes Sheba as a garden whose, quote, plants are an orchard of pomegranates and says, as a piece of a pomegranate, they are the, wait, as a piece of a pomegranate are thy temples within thy locks. And then Sheba replies and says she wants Solomon to drink the spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. Yeah. Yeah. There's no possible way you can read that and not think. (laughs) One interpretation on that one. There's one interpretation. So apparently, um, not only that, but when you look at the pomegranate, like you break it open and it kind of has this mysterious chambers with all this red stuff. It was like 100% like matched with female fertility and sexuality. The pomegranate the is a perfect fruit to draw a metaphor from. It is. And and we are certainly not the first people no. to ever have recognized that. So of course, because of that, it was also considered an aphrodisiac. Okay. So you had a lot of people saying, well, we're going to actually have this as a part of a wedding ceremony. We're going to put it up um, outside the tent. So um, the Bedouins in Afghanistan and the ancient Islamic uh, peoples, they would put all these up and then have them around the the tent that you go into. Or you were supposed to split open the pomegranate and then if the pomegranate had a whole bunch of seeds, then that family, those that couple, were they were going to have a lot of children because it represented high fertility. Okay. So you got to hope that you got a really big, juicy pomegranate. It kind of sucks. You're like, yeah, we're having a great wedding. This is super good. You rip open your pomegranate and it has like six seeds. You're like, uh-oh. That's like, yeah. This is bad. That's like at the if at, at the gender reveal party, you <laughs> pop the balloon and it's like gray glitter comes oh, out. Oh, yeah, and you're like, oh. Like, what are we having? This is not what we were expecting. Yeah, and then, but there's also a, um, uh, I think there was, what, 613 seeds? Someone who's a scholar in religion needs to correct me on this because um, in ancient Judaism, they have 613 commandments in the Torah, which is mm. basically the... Um, the Bible, but the Old Testament. And so then they said that it's always divinely so that the pomegranate has the same amount of seeds in it, which make it, you know, again, a very religious and important fruit. So what happens when somebody breaks one open and there's not 613? Who knows? It's blasphemy. Yeah, exactly. It's like, (laughs) yeah, well, you're going straight to hell, straight to Hades. Oh, boy. But they also um, were important because you had the, um, if you opened up uh, a thing because it had all these kind of important things and call outs, um, it's said that in paradise, I think in the Islamic uh, tradition, Mm -hmm. That there are one of every uh, seed, or I think it's one of every ten, or one of every certain amount of seeds is uh, from paradise inside of that. Oh. So you just always want to get and eat them all. Interesting. So this tree, like it, it played a huge role in fertility, and it also played a huge role in beauty and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're putting your family together, and you're growing your orchards, and all these really amazing, important things. And it all came from this one tree that just, you know, essentially you break it open, and you're like, that looks like everything that has to do with the female parts. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it turns out that um, this was also, in an opposite way, it was the representative of death. That's and right. these things. And Alex, I believe you have a story um, that you're going to tell us all about. Casey. That specifically touches on this. Casey, yes. Please sound the trumpets. I have done research. <laughs> Alex. Well done. For the third time in this podcast history, <laughs> I've done research 
Uh, because it is something I'm really into, and that is Greek mythology. Casey, yep. today I will be telling you and our fine fungal associates the story of Persephone and Hades. Oh my gosh. All right, Casey, here goes. In ancient Greek... <laughs> I've already fucked up. Hold on. I just, have really, I just need a really strong start. Okay. Casey, there was a time when the world had no seasons. The world was flush with life year-round and everywhere. Flowers sprung from the earth at a glance. The trees covered in beautiful flowers and fruits and leaves. Mm, sounds nice. The, har- the fields of the harvest ripe with crops for the measly mortals. Ah, poor things. This, of course, was due to Demeter. And Demeter was the goddess of the harvest and fertility. In a way, the goddess of life. I don't Mm -hmm. think that's official. Don't look that up. I'm not going to look that up. Demeter, of course, had a daughter. Uh, Her daughter's name was Persephone. Ah, Persephone. That's right. I know that name. Which is where our name, Stephanie, comes from. Really? (laughs) No, I don't know that for sure. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Alex, 70%, man. Just say yes. The, the, yeah, from Full House, the character's original name was Persephone Tanner. Yeah, it was. And then they realized that just wasn't what it wasn't hitting with American audiences. No, it doesn't, doesn't play quite as well. Uh, so uh, Demeter had this daughter by Zeus, her brother. Mm. Uh, her name was Persephone. Persephone was just the most gorgeous living thing you could ever imagine. She was lovely and beautiful and sweet and kind and strong. And Persephone... Uh, drew some eyes of these horn dog gods. Oh my god, they were notoriously horny. Yeah, Greek gods are fucking insanely horny, uh, and they really they were after Persephone. Mm. But one god in particular had a special, uh, a special thing, an for, affinity. Yes, yeah. an affinity for Persephone. We'll get to that. So Demeter didn't love that all these gods were so randy for her daughter. Not not super cool. You know, that's actually where we get the term Randy from. <laughs> Persephone. Persephone. The name. <laughs> um, uh, you know, all of her, like, brothers and sisters, like, want to fuck her daughter. Not oh. okay. Right? Yeah, that's rough. Uh, so she, she, takes, she takes Persephone. Demeter takes Persephone. They, move, they go and move away into the forest, right? Where Persephone can pursue her favorite pursuit, which is... The beauty of nature. Oh, you know what? Now I'm kind of into Persephone. Yeah, like, who wouldn't be? Come yeah, on now. Yeah, yeah. Persephone was a was a straight up fungal associate. She was loved her some nature walks. Yeah, she probably listens to it right now. She probably this episode, or this this podcast. I mean, yeah, somewhere out there in the cosmos. Yeah. Uh, although that's an oxymoron because cosmos means nothingness or something. Oh, really? So who knows where? Oh, she's up on Mount Olympus. What am I talking about? Yeah, sorry, we got to get back to it. So one day. Persephone is out and about in the fields, having a grand old time, admiring the flowers. When she hears Krakoom from behind her, she whips around just in time to see the earth open like a gaping mouth. And from out the earth charge several black steeds carrying a black chariot. And riding the chariot is James Woods. James Wood? (laughs) 
of the hick sitcom Shark. <laughs> it's not a sitcom. It's a, it's a drama. Is 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 writing uh, James Woods' Disney Hercules portrayal of Hades. Hey, what's up, Persephone? It's me. It's Hades. I think you look great. I think you want to get together. What's up with you? You want to come down and hang out? That's a direct quote from the, the scriptures. Scriptures. Hades comes out the earth, and before she can even do anything, she's in fucking shock. Hades sweeps her up, takes her into the earth, the ground closes up, and she is gone. Mm. Now, Demeter's heart is shattered. Persephone, her greatest joy, is gone Mm -hmm. in a flash. No no idea where she went. It's terrifying. I mean, her her daughter disappeared off the face of the earth quite literally. Yeah, li- literally. So Demeter starts to spiral, and she is searching high and low for her daughter. She search, searches every cavern, every corner, every crook and nanny. Mm-hmm. Crook, crook? Every nook and cranny. <laughs> yeah, like every crook and nanny. <laughs> She searches every grandmother, every nanny, <laughs> for her daughter. Every prison full of all the crooks. <laughs> she cannot find her. She employs the help of Hecate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, who is the goddess of potions, keys, ghosts, poisons? Wow, that's a, these all these gods are just like I think you said this the other day. Mm-hmm. They're always just so random. Yeah, but no, but what's cool keys? about Hecate is that she's <laughs> sort of the. Uh, the the goddess of witchcraft and enchantments. Ah, okay. One of my one of my favorite things. Uh, she helps her search. They cannot find Persephone anywhere. Months go by. Now, if you'll recall, Casey Demeter is the goddess of the harvest. Yep. Fertility, life on Earth. Wow. Essentially, mm-hmm. uh, in this time, she becomes so depressed. She lets her responsibilities fall by the wayside as goddess of life and the trees die they drop their leaves and their flowers disappear oh my god the crops wither in the fields okay everything just like essentially just gives up because there's no longer this god taking care of it exactly wow the mortals are wailing please gods bring back our crops we're starving to death Mm -hmm. millions die probably wow Demeter can't be bothered to both take care of her job and search for her daughter. I don't blame her. I don't, I wouldn't have been able to do the same thing either. Now, at this time, Persephone is in Hades. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's in Hades. Yeah, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> she's in she's in the underworld, Casey. Yeah. And Hades uh has taken her as his queen. I guess he can do that. Yeah, isn't he um, uh, uh, Zeus's brother? He is Zeus's brother, ah, yes. His yeah. eldest brother. Eldest brother. Oh, I didn't know that. Maybe not his eldest brother, but Zeus is Hades' youngest brother, ah, I should say. Okay, gotcha. So Hades has taken Persephone as queen of the dead. Mm-hmm. And Persephone doesn't hate it. I've heard that, where it's like, did she go down there and kind of just like a... Uh, um, she falls in love with her captive kind right. of thing. A little uh, Stockholm syndrome, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Or, or maybe she's just like, like you know, goes down there and kind of gets used to it. Is fine with it. Is like, oh well, everyone bows to me. This is kind of cool. Yeah. At this point, she's been down there for several months, and she's a god. I mean, she's she's the mm. ruler of a kingdom. Yeah. Uh, 
So she starts to not hate it so much, even though she was kidnapped. At this time, on Mount Olympus, the gods are in turmoil. Mm -hmm. The cries of the mortals keep them up at night. Oh, God. Demeter is... Demeter is is shattered. She cannot go on. Zeus, I think probably more than cares for Demeter, mm. just wants everything to be back to normal because mm. he he doesn't like disorder. So they're all talking about where where else can we search for Persephone? She has to be somewhere. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, from the corner of the room, the Aragorn type <laughs> speaks up helios the sun god oh yeah that guy yeah helios says i know where she is and yeah, everybody like, you know does does like a turn like you couldn't have said something it's like a record helios? scratch asshole yeah uh zeus is furious like why the fuck haven't you spoken up mm-hmm. he goes, oh, nobody ever asked me yeah nobody ever asked me nothing that's right i get no respect from none of you <laughs> i'm here all day helios is Choosing the wrong time to get up on a soapbox. <laughs> yeah, he's... All right, it's a, it's a bad time to air your grievances. Yes. You could have just sent us a letter. The important information is that he knows where Persephone is. Mm-hmm. They say, well, what the fuck happened to her? And he says, oh, I saw who took her, who kidnapped her from this mortal plane. Oh, my God. It was Hades. Hades. What? Everyone's like... <laughs> Damn you! Yeah, as if they didn't have reason enough to sort of dislike Hades. Now he's a, a kidnapper of the yeah. most precious you know, being I, they have. He gets a bad rap. I think he's a pretty cool guy, you know? I think he's uh, he, he's he's doing the job no one wanted, so he's just like, all right, I'll do it. That's true. Yeah, anyway. He's kind of stuck. So now that Helios has uh, has spilled the beans, yeah. now Zeus knows, and that now everyone knows... Do they go down to the underworld? Zeus immediately goes to the underworld mm-hmm. to get Persephone back. Mm-hmm. Says he rolls up them sleeves. I'll handle this. Isn't he wearing a toga? He doesn't have any sleeves. Anyway, he finds Hades and he says, "I'm taking Persephone back today." And Hades kind of shrugs his shoulders and says, "She's my queen now. I can't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. Sorry." And Zeus is incensed. He yeah. can't believe that Hades is defying him. And Hades says, "Listen, Zeus." You're my younger brother. In fact, you're my youngest brother. I don't give a fuck what you think. Do you know how lonely it is down here? Mm-hmm. He has no one. All he wanted was the love of a woman. Yeah. He went about it completely the wrong way. Zeus says, you know what? That's all, that's all fine. But listen, if you don't give Persephone back... I will immediately command Hermes, messenger of the dead. Yeah. No more souls to the underworld. The river sticks cut off. That's right. I will build a dam in the river sticks. Wow. And no souls will come to your kingdom. Your kingdom will fall, Hades. This gets his attention. Mm-hmm. Hades says, okay, I get it. I don't want that. But listen, just give me one more day with her and then you can come pick her up. Yeah. Zeus agrees and leaves. That night, Hades is knocking on Persephone's door. Mm-hmm. Come in. Yeah. He walks in. Okay. You getting a picture here? Yeah, this is really nice. Honestly, I see like, um, uh, the ironically, the north is the kind of castle that I'm thinking from like a, uh, a Game of Thrones oh, idea. Yeah, I'm seeing a Winterfell with like big, big doors. Sure. Goom, goom, goom. Yeah, that's a great, that's some great imagery. Yeah. So Hades goes to Persephone and says, 
listen, I love having you here. Mm. My brother is a bit of a strong arm. He's requested you back. He's a bit of a strong arm. <laughs> so he says, Persephone, uh, you have to go back. And I'm so sorry to see you leave. And she's, uh, you know, kind of distant. Mm. Says, Are you mad at me? You know, she doesn't respond. <sighs> he gets a little nervous. Listen, if you aren't mad at me, I, I would love for you to show me by sharing this pomegranate with me. <gasps> the pomegranate. The pomegranate, Casey. He says, please share some, have some seeds from this pomegranate. I'll have some. Mm-hmm. It'll be kind of a nice, kind of metaphorical moment for us on yeah. our last night together. So Persephone takes the pomegranate seeds. How many does she take? How many is she given? She's given six pomegranate seeds. Now, Casey, mm-hmm. earlier, yeah. when we were going over the story together off mic, yep. you said at this point... Correct. That uh, allegedly he gave her 12 and she only ate six of them. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a discrepancy here. I am, I, am, uh, uh, I am sort of paraphrasing from Stephen Fry's Mythos. Ah, yes, yes. Which is a great source, great book. Yep. Uh, but of course there are some, and this is an important detail, so this is why I'm highlighting it. Uh, she takes six pomegranate seeds. Yeah. Nibbles them on down because they're so damn delicious. Yeah. They're sweet and tart and tangy and sharp. Mm. Hades departs. The next morning, Hermes shows up, <clears throat> one of my favorite Greek gods. Yeah. He's there to pick up Persephone on the orders mm-hmm. of Zeus. Hades brings Persephone out, says, All right, uh, don't be mad. <laughs> Last night, don't be mad. I gave her some. Uh pomegranate seeds and she ate six of them oh my gosh and if i am correct the uh the pomegranate is a symbol of indissolubility well of course (laughs) of marriage because it's so sacred oh there you have it if you eat one it is a sacred thing it's saying that your your marriage is undissolutable it's the uh it's the stepping on the glass of greek myth exactly um I gave Persephone some pomegranate seeds last night. I gave her six of them. She ate them all. Whoops. Hermes, as you know, as all gods know, this is a rule now, Hermes, that she now has to spend six months of the year, of the 12-month year, down here with me. We shared a pomegranate. Suck it, bitch. (laughs) Oh, poor Hermes. Hermes basically responds with, ah, I get it. Okay. Takes Persephone back to Olympus. Demeter is there's no words ecstatic she's overjoyed casey her all of her anxiety and her turmoil and her depression lift like clouds burning off in a sunny afternoon Mm. she suddenly is overjoyed and with that the ground of the earth begins to grow fresh foliage oh my god the leaves on the trees come back bright green the needles on the furs come back lime green, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, bunnies are fucking again. Everything is everything's getting going. This sounds a lot like something I know. And the uh, guess what else? The crops, the fallow fields mm-hmm. start to grow beautiful crops. Mm. The, the the mortals are overjoyed. Demeter is back. Praise Demeter. Do they stop hooping and hollering and yelling so much? Yes. They're, well, they hoop and holler in a different way, out ah. of joy. And ah, now this is a celebration. That's right. I got gotcha. you. 
Persephone is back where she belongs in Demeter's view. Yes. And then Hermes breaks the news to everybody. Like, yes, so I brought her back. Yep. However, I had to uh I have to deliver this contract also. That's right. He had he's the you know, don't kill the messenger, he says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, please, seriously. You guys are really powerful. He says in six months, unfortunately, Persephone has to go back because Hades is a ruse master. He, he tricked her. He, yeah. He tricked, he got the better of us. So. Wow. In six months, six months later, Persephone is taken back to Hades. Mm-hmm. Demeter once again destroyed and depressed. Wow. What happens to the earth, Casey? The fields go fallow. Wait a second. The leaves fall from the trees. The deciduous leaves? Mm-hmm. Only the deciduous ones. That's oh, right. Okay. All right. Uh, the flowers in the in the in the ground wither and die. Oh my god. It has become winter. Alex. And Casey, I can't go without uh this last line from from this chapter from Mythos. Stephen Fry says the world had found a new rhythm. Oh God! It's the seasons. The birth of the seasons, Casey. Jeez, that makes my day. <laughs> I'm so happy with that because it ends up being this. Uh, that's such a. Oh, it's kind of bittersweet, right? It is, but I love the fact that they like. Well, here's here's why the seasons exist, and it's this whole convoluted story. Who knows where it's going? Blah 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 blah. Yeah. blah. There's trickster. That trickster. God's playing around. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you have a reason for the season. I, I literally, yeah. That's hilarious. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, great story. All about all because of this little this little uh, this little fruit over here. That's right, Casey. Wow. And Casey, what? With that, it's time for our review. Feels right of the pomegranate. Wow. Here's how we do it. We'll give our final thoughts on this fruit of the dead, and then give it a rating of zero to ten. Golden mm-hmm. poems of honor. Yes. Casey, as our resident expert, we will begin with you. Golden grainy poems of honor yes okay so while you were doing that i was just chomping down on these you know trying to trying to get a feel for what it is exactly yeah because as i've told you i've had very few of these if literally any my biggest uh um, interaction with the pomegranate was the uh xxx flavor of life water wow hey remember that that's a shame yeah it was a shame but you know what it's good stuff i have to say they really did i do like that flavor yeah so i've been i you know this i just think the cool this as a flavor delicious top favorite yeah uh as a an interesting uh like fruit and flower Mm. in like a biological sensation mwah chef's kiss totally um as a tree 5.5 oh my god it's not even a tree I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I just am like, you're so close to not being a tree. How can I give you a high, a high grade? If I give other things that are clearly, obviously trees, low grades, because I think they're stupid sometimes. Okay. I, I'm so torn. As a thing that exists, 9.5. Because of the impact it's had on the world. Oh, wow. Kind of like the... Uh, um, the nutmeg in that it's just this one little wacky fruit with this weird, you know, eye of Sauron in the middle. That thing has been the, it's like the Helen of Troy of, of things where it's caused nations to go to war and change the course of history. Yeah. This also has changed the course of history, but it didn't cause it by going through wars necessarily. It just became this thing that it was like, you know, now we're going to have these God fights and then now there's going to be seasons. 
I think that's pretty cool because I'm just going to buy into it. I think it's probably a fact. But 25 feet tall, 33 feet at max, can you even can you even call that a tree? I could, th- I could throw a pomegranate over a pomegranate tree. You're despicable. I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to give it... Nine point five for the for the 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 ethics. Yeah, okay, <laughs> it's ethics. <laughs> I I said five point five. I'm gonna go four point nine for it for its stature. <clears throat> All right, as a tree, it gets it's low. It's 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 a low tree. And what does that average to? I'm gonna say it averages to to six point one. All right, a six point one. Golden poems of honor. Is that is that a good average? I think that's a perfect average. That's it's hey man, your cones are your, your poems are your own. My poems moans. <laughs> that's it. So you know what? Right. I am. It's a. It is hard. This is probably one of the hardest ones I've had. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see you're torn. Yeah. Anyway, so Alex, uh, write write the ship. Would you? Yeah, sure. The pomegranate means a lot to me. Uh, as a child, every year around Christmas, mm-hmm. my mother would buy my sister and I a pomegranate. Yeah. And she would lay a bunch of newspapers out on the dining room table. Mm-hmm. And we'd crack them open and we'd eat the seeds. Mm-hmm. And it always felt very fun. I felt like a squirrel foraging for nuts, just like a little <laughs> seed by seed eating through this pomegranate. Yeah, kind of, I, I can see that, like, exactly. Yeah, I loved the flavor from from childhood. Yeah. Uh, I haven't had a pomegranate in a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right here for you. I believe the last one I had was old and kind of like on its way out. And oh. so the seeds were kind of mushy mm-hmm. and it wasn't, it, the, the flavor was sort of dark. It, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Yeah. However, uh, I love the story of Persephone and the pomegranate seeds. It's great. Uh, I love the taste of pomegranate as a tree. I agree with you. It's nothing special. However, I don't think it's about, the bark, which we didn't touch on, by the way, or the the leaves, or even the flower. For me, it's a one-trick pony. Yeah. But that trick is delicious. Oh, yes. And beautiful and culturally invaluable. Yeah, okay. This might be the most culturally important tree we've covered. You know, that's not uh, that's not unreasonable. I what what we, are some other contenders? The the Western Red Cedar, yeah, certainly. Yeah, that would be a huge one. The palm, uh, we haven't covered it, I guess, actually, but we've talked about it a little bit. The palm tree. Sure. Um, uh, the bristle, or the, um, the, the cedar of Lebanon is up yep, there, yep, I think. It's another huge one. But I would put the pomegranate, prob- uh, from based on nothing, I would put it, at the top of the heap, as wow. far as culturally significant trees, okay, okay, throughout time, yeah, across continents, independently, it's not like they, it's not like they were sending emails. Hey, what fruit are you guys really into this week? <laughs> the pomegranate. Oh, fuck us too. Yeah, the New York Times is like, let's put a thing on the, on, let, let's sell this, right? You know, give the, it to the Mad Men. The pomegranate was never folk. trending online. Yeah, it was independently revered mm-hmm. across millennia. I see. For that, I will say, it is an extremely metaphorical fruit. Yeah. Ripe for analogy. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I will give it a metaphorical score. Oh, my. Like Persephone and her six months out of 12 months uh-huh. in Hades, I will be giving the pomegranate a record-breaking six out of 12 <laughs> golden poems of honor. 
Six out of twelve. That's a that's a good that's a good number. Yeah, I mean that's higher than five out of ten. That technically is, yeah. <laughs> uh, however, it gets an honorary ten. An honorary ten, a metaphorical six. Yeah, I just think it's 12. I just think it's such a perfect fruit. It's interesting. Mm. It's quirky. It is. Uh, as we learned today, anatomically a madhouse. Yeah, it's it's not even it's almost fake. It makes no sense. I honestly thought it was tropical this whole time. It it plays as a tropical fruit. Yeah, it really does. Tropical also, fruit. Wow. it it just it's it's like a fruit that like a kid would like make up like in a yeah. drawing. Ah, uh, yeah, I see. And it's it's real, Casey. <laughs> and it's real. You are holding a piece of mythology. Yeah. You're holding a piece of human history in your hands. Mm, that's it. Yeah, that's true. That is, you know, that's yeah. See, we should make you go first because you always you bring up such nice points. Every time I go up, I'm like, "Eh, the tree's fine. The fruit's okay, but let's get down to brass tacks here. Is it going to shade a city street or not?" Definitely not. When Zero. are we? When are we going to start selling its overplanted T-shirts? <laughs> it's overplanted. Uh, we already do, Alex. Casey, that was our review of the pomegranate. This week we have a special segment. In fact, we have a special recipe <gasps> from friend of the pod, Spencer Huey. Spencer resides in San Francisco, California. Yep. In fact, Casey, this is a fun fact for everybody. Yeah. It was Spencer's idea. To have guest chefs on our show this season. Look at that. Punching his own tickets, what that's called. That's right. Yeah. He's basically like uh, an associate producer of the show Essentially, at this point. Yeah. Uh, we're incredibly grateful for that, that brainwave and for Spencer as a human being and a chef. Spencer came up with a what looks to be an incredibly delicious recipe for mm. the pomegranate. Yes. And he sent us a voice memo describing the dish. Let's hear what he has to say. Hey, Casey, Alex, and listeners of Completely Arbitrary. My name is Spencer, and I am from the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, Today, we're going to be making a chicory pomegranate salad with pear, walnuts, feta, and a pomegranate vinaigrette. Uh, But before we do that, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself and why I chose this recipe, and then I'll walk you guys right through it so you can make it at home. Um, right now I work as a cook at a restaurant and the restaurant's called Chez Panisse. It's in Berkeley, California. Uh, before I did this, I worked with kids and students. Um, and then I went to school at UC San Diego. My background, actually, I studied, uh, biology. So I studied ecology and animal behavior and evolution. I went to study honeybees and get my master's and studying honeybees and honeybee labs. So, you know, kids cooking, honeybees, it all relates. It doesn't, but it's totally fine. So back to the salad. I'm going to just kind of unpack this recipe a little bit for you guys. And um, hopefully you guys will make this as well. The recipe we're making is a chicory pomegranate salad with pear, walnuts, feta, and a pomegranate vinaigrette. So basically you want to wash and get your chicories ready. You basically want to pull off the tough outer leaves um, take the inner tender leaves and cut them into bite-sized pieces, wash them around in the water and dry them really well. Um, prepare the pomegranate by cutting off the top. So you see the section, all of the sections of the seeds, just kind of like a little, a little bit off the top, like a half inch or so. And then you'll see these, um, sections and you cut, make, uh, make like cuts going from pole to pole and, and separate these sections will be about five to seven of them. And you'll pull them apart, kind of like an orange. You would pull apart an orange 
And then I like to just take a piece and use my fingers to pull off the seeds or also called arls um, into a bowl. And we only need about a third, uh, three fourths of a cup of those. So to make the vinaigrette, you're going to finely dice the shallot with a really sharp knife and put it in a bowl. And then we're going to put in the vinegar, zest of half the lemon, uh, the lemon juice, uh, grated garlic, Dijon mustard, and the pomegranate molasses in there. Give it a good stir. Season it with salt. You let this sit and macerate for about 15 to 20 minutes. And this allows the shallot to pickle slightly, takes a sharp edge off of the shallot, and the flavors kind of melt to get together. Um, you'll add olive oil, extra virgin olive oil. And uh, it's, it's generally about one part acid to three parts oil. So put the right amount of oil in. Give it a good stir or whisk. Taste it with a spoon. Make sure it tastes, you know, you get a lot of acidity and, and saltiness, but also you get the olive oil part as well. It's nice to taste it on a leaf of chicory because that's what you could eat it on as well. And then add more lemon or add more vinegar, add more salt. And you really want to find that sweet spot of, sweet spot of, of balancing for the salad. So to make the actual salad, get a big bowl. Um, put your chicory leaves in it, season it lightly with salt and put uh, shake up the vinaigrette and put some of the vinaigrette on the salad. You won't need it all. Um, give it a good toss. You want the leaves to be coated nicely, but not dripping. Like that's too much. I think um, a lot of uh, we as Americans, we eat a lot of overdressed salad. Um, but that's nice because there'll be a lot of uh, leftover vinaigrette for future salads. Um, so once that's great, add some of the pear, add some of the pomegranate, the walnuts, give it a good toss, put it on a large, um, platter or plate. Um, and then you can put more of the pomegranate, put on the, the feta, put on the walnuts, um, and it's all ready to go. So I think that, yeah, the main idea is learning how to make this balanced vinaigrette using pomegranate molasses and, and vinegar and lemon juice and, all these things together. Um, and also, you know, feel free to, to substitute other fall fruit or different lettuces, different um, nuts. You can add herbs. Like I love adding mint to the salad as well. That's really tasty. But um, that's the whole idea. Learning to cook more with people that you love and uh, create community over food and trees. Take care. Casey. Trees. If only we had listened to this before cutting the pomegranate in the kitchen. Yeah, we cut it the wrong way. We sure did. Uh, there, there. Are, yeah, there's a much more efficient, uh, less wasteful way. I would say. Yeah, and they don't. You don't cut the little uh, little arls in half. Right. <laughs> well. We basically cut straight through the seeds. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Spencer, That's for that amazing, wonderful recipe. It looks incredible. You can find the full recipe and. Spencer's full voice memo describing the recipe on our website, arbitrarypod.com. That's right. Look for this episode and you shall find it. Casey. Alex Crozen. It's time for our completely arbitrary Q&A. Let's do it. This week, our question is from longtime fungal associate and lovely human being, Sarah Wanamaker. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. And she responds, hello, Casey and Alex. Wow, this is so interactive. I've noticed quite a bit of variation in the timing of fall foliage. Some trees have dropped all their leaves, while others are just starting to change colors. Kinkos. Do you know what causes this difference and whether it's an individual site or species-specific pattern? Thanks, 
Sarah. Sarah, thank you. Excellent question. Casey, I thought this question was appropriate because today's Greek myth is about the changing of the seasons. That's very right. You and I and everybody else here are currently experiencing a changing of the seasons. Although when you hear this, it'll be a little late. It'll Collectively, be like yeah, that's true. Proper winter, I yeah. guess. Um, but at this moment of recording, the dogwood outside my window, which usually provides me with so much privacy, yeah, is now as nude as I am when I walk through my apartment, thankful for my dogwood blocking my window. <laughs> Oh, the dogwood, what it's seen. Yeah. <laughs> it's forlorn howl, the dogwood. <laughs> Casey, what do you think? What's up with uh, cha- tree changing mm-hmm. uh, stuff? Well, that's a great question. So I think we, we've covered a variation of questions about fall and like what happens, you know, and why, yeah. why do they do this? And it's a it, it's a a bit of a um a thing that changes per tree. So certain trees will are they're just more predisposed to keep their leaves for longer mm-hmm. for whatever reason. You know, it could be a myriad of reasons. It doesn't necessarily be a it doesn't have to be a scientific reason where it's like in order to advance this, this tree is adapted to be this. Right? Is that sort of our we, we sometimes use the old standby? That's just the way it grows. It's yeah. That that's pretty much it. It's just the way it grows. Okay. I, the one I think of right off the top of my head is a weeping willow they mm. tend to keep their leaves a really long like way late into the fall and then they're usually the first to put their leaves back on in the spring um other other trees like the dogwood here will be like right in the middle they'll just do it they'll let it go and then they'll um, have everything in the middle like super average kind of time period yeah. and then there's some that lose their leaves really really early like they start turning different colors super fast the red maple is a, an, an example where they begin ever so slowly to turn extra super red, but they kind of keep up at it for a really long time. So mm. right now they're like at their peak redness. And um, so different trees do it at different times. And the whole study of this is called phenology. Phenology. Yeah, P-H-E-N-O-L-O-G-Y. That's a great Boston accent word. Yeah, phenology. Phenology. Yeah, it feels like you're just about to like insult someone. Or sneeze. Yeah, one of the two. <laughs> Maybe both at the same time. Phenology. Oh, you okay? Oh, he's fine. He's fine. Ugh, it's the worst, though. When you, you have a sneeze and you're like, oh, uh, and then it goes away. And then it just lodges into your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It takes up space. Anyway, I'll just be here for a while. Don't worry about it. So, um, so on, in phonology, it's the idea that you are paying attention to when seasonality occurs or when a certain tree responds to changes in the seasons. Yeah. Um, but it's also the same as like, when do birds molt? When do... Mm. certain uh um things happen in the landscape but in a natural way you know this flower comes up between late april and early may every single year and if you keep track of that over time you can actually see the variation in different plants you can see how that is changing over time which people are noticing now certain trees will um turn different colors quicker um or later in the season or something like that would you lump like dogs uh getting their winter coat yeah exactly that same thing yeah so losing their winter coat yeah it's just a a living things reaction and uh response to essentially the seasonality as a stimulus got it um and that could be kind of two main different things that come involved one is the amount of light that you get per day Um, others could be the amount of heat you get per day or amount of 
the day that is over a certain temperature and how many days in a row that that is. Hmm. And um, so it's all these little tiny little tiny tells that um, plants are looking for, and they have all sorts of ways of like figuring this out and so people say well is it the the time is it the light how much daylight there is right is that what changes it or is it the temperature or something like that and they've done experiments to try and figure out what exactly it is like what's the stimulus what's the cue and some plants um they they do it by that the amount of light the uh the amount of light that comes in and hits that tree over a given period of time so even if it's still really warm out the tree will not lose its leaves or will lose its leaves at the same time no matter what so this are you saying that science uh the jury is kind of out on on sort of the sources of phenology yeah well it's it's a little bit out but it's also like you can't show that it's 100 percent this thing sure a lot of times it's just some variation or some complex interaction of factors i see um but one of the biggest ones like the one that has the most uh the most reason or the not the most reason the most impact Mm -hmm. is the the light during the day makes sense and that is because that is always going to be the same every single year no matter what yeah whereas temperature could fluctuate a lot during that but no Mm. matter what the same amount of light is going to come and go at the same time every single year because that's the whole world shifting um on its axis or in its uh um in its orbit right yes um temperature though is a very changing thing you can have really late spells in a really late warm spells and then the tree will already be losing its leaves because it knows that it needs to start that process based on how much light's there because even if there is this really warm moment the tree is not going to be tricked by it because then the next week it's going to be brutally cold right or in the springtime the same exact stuff happens so that's the seasonality that persephone or persephone has created Mm -hmm. and the trees have picked up on that and now they just respond in that rhythm all the time. And so some will respond um, at different times because let's say they're from the northeast, a northern red oak. That tree has grown up and it knows that when the light has, or when there's this much light during the daytime, X amount of light, that tree says it's time to start shutting down because I know it's going to get really cold in a moment. I see. And so then you plant it over here, it still does that same amount or reacts to that same amount of light, even though maybe it's way warmer for way longer. But then another tree from a different part of the world may respond at a completely different time because it says, well, as I evolved... I should not get rid of my leaves until a little bit less light during the day because it's still going to be pretty warm even though there's less light. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's those like small changes in seasonality in the phenology of the tree that has come together and created that tree's own internal rhythm, its own internal clock. Then you put those all in what would be termed a garden experiment hmm. where you take all these different plants and all these different trees, put them in one location, and now they're all living in essentially the same climate the same soil, the same everything, then they'll all react at different times because where they came from very likely was a different time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, and then aside from that, in inside of those individual populations of species, you just have this small genetic differences. Like we were talking about with the ginkgos a while back, where sometimes 
tree A is just, for whatever reason, predisposed to do it just a second earlier than tree B. Sure. Or, you know, just a little bit later or whatever it is. So what you're saying basically is there are like a million different factors and who knows. Exactly. Thanks, Sarah, for your question. If you have a question for Casey about trees, email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y pod at gmail.com. Join us on Instagram at arbitrarypod. Or support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrary pod. You can join the Arboretum, pay five bucks a month for two bonus episodes on trees and other related topics a month. Or ten bucks gets you into the Cone of the Month Club. You get a unique die cut cone sticker illustrated by an independent artist every single month in the mail with an info card. It's all very precious and it supports Casey and me. Mm. in making this show. That's how we do it. Case. Alex, what a lovely episode. I enjoyed it thoroughly. For all of you who don't like history, our deepest, most uh, effectual <laughs> apologies. I feel like history buffs and science nerds are are sort of, there's a there's yeah. a, there's an overlap in the Venn diagram there. I think so. So hopefully you guys uh, stuck with us and you really enjoyed the storytelling. And if you can, um, definitely go to our website, check out our sources because they have way more information or at least way more bits where you can be like, huh? And then you can Google that and go down a, a, a click, uh, a hyperlink trail That's worth right. of um, looking up all these histories and you know how these people and things interacted fascinating you stuff can, you can truly find out how how deep the rabbit hole goes yeah, yeah exactly take the take the uh, the blue pill yeah casey i raise this pomegranate juice yes and i say to the trees to the trees happy fall thank you so much everybody for listening to completely arbitrary we will see you next time au revoir bye-bye Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 